Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. So on Saturday at the Segway series, um, uh, further west than here, um, Nicholas McGavro performed his Power Hour of the Wolf, a deeply troubling iteration of cinematic intervention. Though I won't go into it now, McGavro's doubling of the cinematic experience that is usually protected by a singular optic to reflect back on itself was, at least to me, somewhat nauseating. Perhaps it is also the experience of watching this optic disrupted by the seemingly painful, bringing, uh, painful binging on shot glass after shot glass of beer that got to me. I'm not sure. I think McGavro's work then brings to the fore a pleasantly awful relationship between the abject distance we maintain, not between ourselves and the acted end of writing, but instead um, makes that abject distance a Gordian knot that gargles its own blood after you've cut it, as though to maintain a healthy set of gums. Please welcome Nicholas McGavro to the Poetry Project. Everybody looks terrible. Dead Stream, Nicholas McGavro, 2014. I'm going to drop these. My hand becoming a trigger, or you describing the closest object to my left hand, which is a trigger, or an actuating mechanism very near to my left hand. My left hand can't stop tapping, or my right finger can't stop clicking, or it is becoming more and more pure, i.e. becoming untouched, though not completely pure. I am now describing the closest object to my right hand, a 500 pixel white square, which is pure, untapped, though probably touched. White square conceals one, a small quantity of cheap poison like dried battery acid powder scraped from the terminal by a rusty pocket knife with a light brown to golden sun colored gradient or strychnine or something on top of which I am placing the index finger of my right hand so as to show that it is concealed precisely under this one because there are four of them and three of them are tattooed with bottom right corner to top left corner blue to deep red gradients indicating syphilitic polygon or drop shadow disease. For example, my left hand on multiple occasions tending to collapse into a large pulsating amorphous finger. Think of a finger but larger pulsating and amorphous and now flecked with a pale blue bloodless gradient, which then also collapses in on itself, or at least some other hand that collapses in on itself, because it can't stop being clicked, because it is compulsive, or because it is repetitive or flat. Also, my new window can't stop opening, or my cursor can't stop pointing. I am now becoming violent. I am now becoming unreasonable. I am being held against my will. I am being asked to look at something over there, but something is repeatedly preventing me from looking over there. There are about four possible things preventing me from looking over there. Leather straps, nylon rope, rope made from 100% biodegradable hemp, clear nylon zip ties or zap straps or tie fasteners, which would be wrapped around or fastened around some body part or parts, fastening itself by engaging its teeth with a paw in the head, forming a ratchet which cannot be loosened by me or 
or anyone and is preventing me from looking over there. So something is definitely over there. I am being told that something is definitely over there and being asked to look at it repeatedly and something is preventing me and I am becoming violent and unreasonable and more and more impossible. Edit, insert, title art or headline slash bulletin. Non-generic natural environment disorients my GPS smartwatch from Target, therefore creating anxiety. My peripheral objects purchased from Target, including my stylus, are becoming stupid and agitated. I am spending greater amounts of time searching, collecting, and organizing things. The whole thing is becoming generic, like a beach or desert or golf course or war zone or minefield or untouched minesweeper grid or compulsive behavior regarding excessive searches and searching as generic behavior. Searching is now the name for a certain kind of problematic behavior, like psychomotor agitation or fidgeting, like when I can't stop fidgeting or I can't stop pacing or I can't stop wringing my hands or repeating myself. I w it won't stop repeating itself. It insists on replicating a generic series of possible scripts. Script one, I am caught terraforming a dead planet. Script two, I am caught data forming a dead space. Script three, I am caught listening to a dead stream. Scripts four through six, I am caught agitating a dead zone. I am caught holding the object closest to my left hand. I am caught touching the pixelated square. Confession, I am only pointing to this so as to not stop pointing. Confession, when I go outside, the air pushes pushes against my face and makes me evil. Confession, I feel it is important to be able to find any information whenever I want. I feel it is important to be able to access information anytime I want. I think it is important to keep up with the latest trends in technology. I get anxious when I don't have my cell phone. I get anxious when I don't have the internet available to me. I am dependent on information. Note, technology will provide solutions to many of our problems, including evil. With technology, anything is possible, excluding evil. I feel that I get more accomplished because of technology. New technology does not make people waste too much time. New technology does not make life more complicated. New technology does not make, make people more isolated. Proof, I prefer to work on several projects in a day rather than completing one project and then switching to another. When doing a number of assignments, I like to switch back and forth between them rather than do one at a time. I like to finish one task completely before focusing on anything else. When I have a task to complete, I like to break it up by switching to other tasks intermittently. For example, new window, nylon curtain, beach, high definition flat screen, or ambient glow somewhere, or soft white pane, or comfortable chair, or office chair, or something is drifting, massaging, floating, flipped open, or resting, or weightless somewhere, or he is in a white room on a multi-sectional couch, or not entirely sure why, or sitting in a black leather office chair, or for example, the room is bathed in a soft white light, or dark and cool, or empty, or there's an iPad, or iPhone, or something somewhere, or you will pick up the box, or press the on button, or reach over to the mouse, or slide to unlock, or move the cursor, or trace the pattern, or look at something, or click the icon, or type something somewhere, or the light will change, or the screen will light up, or something will change, or glide, or pulsate, or something will connect to something somewhere, or someone will say something like, go do something else. For example, purchase a great light flashlight from AutoZone, unscrew the reflector, underneath the reflector you will find the light bulb, which is held in place by a small metal disc. Remove the light bulb by unscrewing 
drilling the disc. Drill the disc to one half inch and then thread it. Underneath the light bulb, you will find two plastic discs. Using a Phillips screwdriver, unscrew the discs and remove them. After removing the discs, drill a one quarter inch hole in the center of six 34.22 millimeter freeze plugs or core plugs. To accomplish this, you will need a drill press. Once this is complete, insert the plugs into the barrel of the flashlight, evenly spaced by hammering them with a piece of one inch conduit pipe and a wooden mallet. The base of the flashlight must also be removed. Inside the base is a neoprene washer. Remove this washer, but do not discard it. This will be used as the wipe. To make the wipe, place a slightly smaller diameter urethane washer in front of the neoprene one. Drill a one quarter inch diameter hole in the center of the base using the same method as was used on the core plugs. This will be the muzzle. Because the flashlight has a rubber button on the side, you will need to remove it and cover the hole. To do this, place a one inch Schedule 40 piece of PVC pipe, two inches long and wrapped in one layer of PVC tape to act as a sleeve between the first two freeze plugs. Once these steps have been completed, screw both ends of the flashlight back on and attach as the silencer of your 357 magnum caliber firearm of choice. Also, remember that this is a relatively simple device. Also, remember that the user taps a rhythmic pattern in unison with the device. Also, remember that unison is specified very loosely at first, but the specifications are slowly sharpened. Also, remember that the process is repeated for various speeds and patterns. Also, remember that in another arrangement, the user echoes rhythmic patterns sounded by the machine, though not in unison. It says, repeat after me. This is a landscape. It includes a pile of tan legs and red high heel shoes. This is a still life. It includes columns of credit card numbers. This is a genre scene. It includes a series of evil numbers or shifting polygons. This is another still life. It portrays a Netflix loading screen with 3D modeled seagulls. This is another landscape. It includes a winning solitaire animation, Windows 7. This is a statue. It, it portrays a graded Adobe font. It says, repeat after me, this time in unison with the device. This is another statue. It portrays a pulsating amorphous rainbow. This is another still life. It portrays a list of commands and prompts. This is another landscape. It portrays cows and money. This is another genre scene. It includes a series of overlapping transparent rectangles with drop shadows. This is another still life. It includes a saxophone, Persian carpet, hanging spider plant, and Windows 95 landscape. This is another statue. It portrays a printer printing washed out Windows 95 landscapes. It says, repeat after me, though this time not in unison. This is a triptych. It includes a Game Boy, one-eyed baby, and camouflage wedding dress. This is another triptych. It includes a goat, coffin, and slice of Velveeta cheese. This is another triptych. It includes yarn, pudding, and a pointer in the shape of a hand icon. This is a collage. It portrays a Wikipedia page with no text. This is another landscape. It portrays search engine optimization, or SEO, for Heaven's Gate website. It includes hidden text appearing at the bottom of the web page, which cannot be seen unless highlighted by your cursor. Its purpose is to direct search queries containing any of these words to the Heaven's Gate website. Note, this practice has since been banned by Google. 
Heaven's Gate repeated seven times, UFO repeated 12 times, Space Alien repeated 12 times, Extraterrestrial repeated 14 times, Misinformation repeated 12 times, Freedom repeated 12 times, Second Coming repeated 10 times, Angels repeated 10 times, End Times repeated 11 times, 144,000 abductees, Agnostic, Alien, Allah, Alternative, Angels, Antichrist, Apocalypse, Armageddon for search engines, Ascension, Atheist, Awakening, Away Team, Beyond Human, Blasphemy, Bodhisattva, Book of Revelation, Buddha for search engines, Channeling, Children of God, Christ, Christ Teachings, Consciousness, Contactees, Corruption, Creation, Death, Discarnate for search engines, Discarnates, Disciple, Disciples, Disinformation, Dying, Ecumenical, End of Age, End of the World, Eternal Life, Eunuch, Evolution for search engines, Evolution extraterrestrial, freedom, fulfilling prophecy, genderless, glorified body, God, God's children, God's chosen, God's heaven for search engines, God's laws, God's son, guru, harvest time, he's back, heaven, heaven's gate, heavenly kingdom, higher consciousness, his church, human metamorphosis for search engines, human spirit, implant, incarnation, interfaith, Jesus, Jesus's return, Jesus's teaching, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, Krishna consciousness, Lamb of God for search engines, last days, level above human, life after death, Luciferian, Luciferians, meditation, members of the next level for search engines, Messiah, metamorphosis, metaphysical, millennium, miracle, the miraculous catch of fish, or the miraculous draft of fish or fishes, John 2114. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, a 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Fish one had an iron trap door taste. Fish two had an iron sword taste. Fish three tasted like raw chicken. Fish four tasted like rabbit's foot. Fish five tasted like TNT. Fish six had a unique redstone wire taste. Fish seven tasted like a cocoa plant. Fish eight tasted like a swiftness potion. Fish nine tasted like gold horse armor. Fish ten tasted like a mine cart. Fish eleven had a wooden door taste. Fish 12 tasted the same as a spawn egg. Fish 13 tasted and smelled like a fire charge. Fish 14 tasted like raw beef. Fish 15 had a magma cream flavor and smell without the color. Fish 16 tasted like a daylight sensor. Fish 17 had a sweet buttery taste. Fish 18 tasted like an anvil. Fish 19 tasted and smelled like a slowness splash. Fish 20 tasted like an iron shovel. Fish 21 tasted like rabbit hide. Fish 22 tasted like glowstone dust. Fish 23 tasted like an egg. Fish 24 had a rich gold ingot flavor. Fish 25 had a gold pickaxe taste. Fish 26 had a sticky piston taste. Fish 27 had a diamond gem taste. Fish 28 had a blaze powder taste. Fish 29 had a fishing rod taste. Fish 30 had a rotten flesh taste. Fish 31 tasted like dead shrubs. Fish 32 had a prismarine crystal flavor. Fish 33 tasted like a glistering melon slice. Fish 34 tasted like clay bricks. Fish 35 had a strong diamond sword taste. 
Fish 36 tasted like gunpowder. Fish 37 tasted like a music disc. Fish 38 tasted like a nether brick. Fish 39 had a poisonous potato taste. Fish 40 had an authentic dragon egg taste. Fish 41 tasted like an empty map. Fish 42 tasted like an emerald. Fish 43 had a sweet light blue dye flavor. Fish 44 tasted like an ink sack. Fish 45 had a blend of poison splash flavors. Fish 46 tasted like netherwort seeds. Fish 47 tasted like a piston. Fish 48 tasted and smelled like a real snowball. Fish 49 tasted like an oxide daisy. Fish 50 tasted like a stone sword. Fish 51 tasted like sugar cane. Fish 52 tasted like a written book. Fish 53 tasted like the tall grass you buy at the fair. Fish 54 tasted like the large fern you buy at the fair. Fish 55 tasted like the gray dye you buy at the fair. Fish 56 tasted like leaping potion. Fish 57 tasted like a golden carrot. Fish 58 tasted like flint and steel. Fish 59 tasted like a fire-resistant splash. Fish 60 tasted like cyan dye. Fish 61 tasted like quartz stairs. Fish 62 tasted like a spider eye. Fish 63 tasted like a stone pressure plate. Fish 64 tasted like a sea lantern. Fish 65 tasted like a rose bush. Fish 66 tasted like a workbench. Fish 67 had a tripwire taste. Fish 68 tasted like a tripwire hook. Fish 69 had a thick potion taste without the color. Fish 70 tasted like a white tulip. Fish 71 had, had the same taste as a watch. Fish 72 tasted like a saddle. Fish 73 had an awkward potion taste. Fish 74 tasted like a chainmail helmet. Fish 75 tasted like bone meal. Fish 76 tasted like a flower pot. Fish 77 tasted like lime dye. Fish 78 tasted like raw fish. Fish 79 tasted like a stick. Fish 80 tasted like an oak sapling. Fish 81 tasted like a stone shovel. Fish 82 tasted like a trap chest. Fish 83 had a water breathing potion taste. Fish 84 tasted and smelled like a wet sponge. Fish 85 tasted like a strength splash. Fish 86 had a melon seed taste. Fish 87 tasted like a nether star. Fish 88 tasted like a peony. Fish 89 tasted like an arrow. Fish 90 tasted like paper. Fish 91 tasted like a magenta banner. Fish 92 had a mild blue orchid taste. Fish 93 tasted like a bow. Fish 94 tasted like blaze powder. Fish 95 tasted like diamond horse armor. Extended script command, misinformation, mothership, mystic, next level, non-perishable, non-temporal, for search engines, older member, our Lord's return, out-of-body experience, overcomers, overcoming, past lives, prophecy, prophecy fulfillment, rapture, for search engines, reactive mind, recycling the planet, reincarnation, religion, resurrection, revelations, saved, second coming, soul, space alien, spacecraft, for search engines, spirit, spirit-filled, spirit guide, spiritual, spiritual awakening, star people, supernatural telepathy, the remnant, the two for search engines, theophysy, tea and dough, truth, two witnesses, UFO, virginity, walk-ins, Yahweh, Yeshua, Yoda, yoga for search engines. Then it repeats. This is the beginning of a script command, end script. BTW, this line of code here is a script command, here see. It defines the following as sensuous words. Absorptive, actuated, addiction, agitation, amounts, anxiety, available, beaches, behavior, case, catastrophe is a sensuous word. Clicked, clicking, collapses, compulsive, data, 
database, data forming, deserts, disorienting, ecology, environment is a sensuous word, environmental, environments, excessive, expansive, extended, fidgeting, fingers, flat, generic, hands is a sensuous word, human, hypnotic, induction, information, intensifies, internet, keyboards, keyboard, landscape, medium, more is a sensuous word, mouse, name, natural, new, now, often, organizing, peripherals, platform, pristine, processor is a sensuous word. Note, ensure that writer gives reader frequent positive feedback for expected behavior, such as give yourself a Bitcoin or other reinforcement system for staying seated during the experiment. Note, to verify, go to the breading cave or the epic breading island. The oven needs to be at level 10 or higher before trying to make this bread. Tap on the breading area to make it glow. Wait 48 hours for bread. The dough color will be gold with a sun icon in the middle. Breading time can be hastened by spreading gems. Place the bread in an oven to help Help it grow, feed it the same food as all baby bread. Put the bread into nursery and wait another 48 hours until it rises. Intermezzo, hint, enjoy. Springtime is finally here. Let's clean out that room and freshen up with some sensual eco-girls for the summer months ahead. Of course, there are many ways to go green. One of our favorite ways is watching those sexy pinup girls wearing their beautiful sexy green bikinis. Care to join us? Confession, the lid to my garbage can disappeared in my kitchen. I know I did not throw it out. I bought another trash can for the kitchen and the lid from that one disappeared too. A box of eggs half full disappeared from my refrigerator. A half of my sandwich disappeared from my dining room table. I left the room for a minute. When I returned, the bread from half of my sandwich had disappeared. I do not own any pets and there are no mice in my house. Fifth occasion, March 12th, 2014. I was looking for the TV remotes to check the weather network. I could not find them. After waking up the next morning, I found a mask with a slice of Velveeta cheese from the fridge on the living room floor. It had a dollop of chocolate frosting on the middle of the cheese. There wasn't any frosting on the mask. The cheese was neatly placed in the middle. I didn't eat anything last night and was alone in a locked house. Note. The attributes of the mask are one, a ceremonial horn or antler such as might be found atop the head of an antelope or gazelle or other ungulate on the walls of a paleolithic cave, and two, whatever wood may be indigenous to its place of origin, mainly dark brown or ruddy colored hardwood, accounting for the crushed spleen, lacerated gallbladder, punctured lung, etc. Two things should be clear. The horn or antler appears slightly different depending on the day, month, cycle of the moon, and state of the organs, whether they be solid or empty, and that the amputational pattern is always indicative of an elemental shift between solid and empty as it pertains to the organs, i.e., the house is solid, not burning, and conversely, the house is empty, it is burned. Now, solid organs include the following spleen, kidneys, lungs, heart, and liver. Their corresponding elements are earth, water, air, fire, and wood, respectively. The empty organs are the stomach, bladder, large intestine, small intestine, and gallbladder, belonging respectively to the same elements. Why the amputations occur only in regard to the extremities and on one occasion to the left ear and not to the internal organs is not clear. It is enough to say that extracting and cutting are two different things. Regarding its material disposition, it appears to bear a resemblance to the model tree in the following fashion. As mentioned previously, the model tree is a list of every feature in a part file, including the data and coordinate system. In a part file, the model tree shows the part file names and each feature in the part below it. In an assembly file, the model tree shows the assembly file names and the included part files beneath it. The model structure is displayed in a hierarchical tree format with the root object, the current part or assembly at the top of its tree, and the subordinate objects part 
parts or features below. The model tree lists only the related features and part level objects in a current file and does not list the entities such as edges, surfaces, curves, wandering polygons, rectangles, and so forth that comprise the features. Each model tree item contains an icon that reflects its object type in the shape of a golden sun. For example, hidden, assembly, part, feature, or datum plane, also a feature. The icon can also show the display or regeneration status for a feature, part, or assembly. For example, suppressed or unregenerated. This web page is about deadstream democracy. This web page is about stalking Elsa from Frozen. This web page presents captions for the photos of Elsa in my stalking album, which is an album of all the photos I take of Elsa while stalking her. This is an itemized list for purposes of possible eBay or Alibaba auction. Auction title, my Elsa stalking album, which is an album containing all the photos I take of Elsa while stalking her. Bidding begins at 99 cents USD. This auction includes the following photos. Elsa standing up and dancing. Elsa Elsa following her cat or dog around, Elsa doing her hair and dressing up as if she were going out, Elsa printing out pictures of her friends, Elsa starting a scrapbook, Elsa getting to know some people via social networking, Elsa starting a Twitter account and tweeting every significant detail of her life, Elsa painting something or taking up painting, Elsa answering questions on Yahoo Answers or any other Q&A website, Elsa turning off all her electronics, Elsa playing some video games, Elsa reminiscing about the past, Elsa looking through an old photo album. Elsa playing some board games, Elsa singing or learning how to sing, Elsa organizing a cluttered room, Elsa reading a personal development website, Elsa reading a printed book, Elsa starting a journal, Elsa inventing her own incredibly complex or simple game, Elsa going on a Wikipedia scavenger hunt, Elsa having fun at night by making a fort out of cushions and sheets, Elsa rereading a book she found interesting, Elsa making a four-course meal with whatever ingredients she has in the house, Elsa cleaning her room, Elsa watching a Spanish soap opera, Elsa running up and down the stairs, Elsa reading free online comic books, Elsa turning her favorite book into a top secret camera case, Elsa painting her fingernails and toenails, Elsa getting some clay and learning sculpting, Elsa playing telephone Pictionary with her friends, Elsa making homemade ice cream, Elsa taking a free online course, Elsa planning her escape route in case of a fire, Elsa learning Morse code or sign language, Elsa rearranging the furniture, Elsa planning out a list and separating it with scissors, Elsa looking up world records, Elsa learning or origami, Elsa finding a comfortable place and doing some meditation, Elsa going out at a local club and having some fun, Elsa making a post on her social network, Elsa making a 10 things list of what she likes about someone, Elsa taking a cold bath, Elsa solving a puzzle, Elsa mending some of her old clothes, Elsa learning the art of calligraphy, Elsa sending thank you notes to people who did nice things for her, Elsa grooming her pet, Elsa starting a new workout routine, Elsa reorganizing her Facebook profile, Elsa making a collage out of old newspapers and magazines, Elsa making a mix CD of her favorite songs and labeling it soundtrack of my life, Elsa watching stupid videos and stand-up comedy videos, Elsa reorganizing her bookshelf, Elsa starting a blog, Elsa opening the bottle of wine she's been saving, Elsa polishing the silverware, Elsa mas mastering Sudoku, Elsa making a new iPod playlist, Elsa soaking her feet in Epsom salt, Elsa cleaning out her purse, Elsa visiting the library in her locality and looking at books with winter themes. Elsa throwing snowballs at a lean tree to improve her aim. Elsa catching up on paperwork. Elsa going on a scavenger hunt with her dog. Elsa making an ideal holiday present list for herself. Elsa measuring a snowball. Elsa reorganizing a dance party for her friends. Elsa taking a nature walk and searching for animal prints. Elsa not giving a fuck. Thank you.
Diana Hamilton. Are you ready? You ready to go? Cool. Um, okay, so, uh, actually I don't need to do this yet. Um, all right, so thanks y'all for coming back, coming here to begin with and then coming back. Um, so Diana Hamilton, um, today is her birthday. So she says, that's what everyone says. Um, it's a weird moment where you can't tell if you've talked about someone's birthday too much or not, or like whether it's your right to talk about someone's birthday. Um, so, okay, well, happy birthday. Glad you can be here. So um, Diana Hamilton's work, if, uh, to go back to what I was saying about Nick's, if ever there were an abject distancing, seems to be more about declension than concerning itself with the singularity of the effective exchange. This comes through in her book, Okay, Okay, in which Hamilton gives a sort of architecture of crying that, to me, uh, seems best instituted in the office floor plan, which she utilizes a, as a means of building a kind of concept hut of the felt world, a temporariness that seems to uncover itself as everyone's, or at least some people's, autobiography, particularly the banal and flattened emotion that passes itself as a metadata of said emotion that we can bracket ourselves beneath rather than the sheltering sky of metaphysic that demands that poetry make of us feeling. But I think this may be a failing and likely flailing effort talking about this work. As Hamilton writes, people like to define poetry by only one of its many functions at a time. Poetry is whatever resists translation or poetry is lyric address. An essentially monologic form or the lyric's address to some other suggests that poetry has always been dialogic, that it calls at the very least in the self-turned second person or to God. Or poetry always involves a greater degree of connotation over denotation or some less specific lack of utility enabling us to recognize poetry in prose. Poetry is a naming function. It's a truth process. It's one output of the movement of spirit. Someone said that poetry was a little hedgehog that you nuzzle against your heart. Put that little hedgehog in its place if it makes you feel better. Please welcome Dan Hamilton to the Poetry Project. Shit advice columnist. I shit every day, although to every rule there are exceptions I grant, but on those days where I fail to make this appointment, as happens more often than not, in the days before, the days before my period when I shit four times a day, sometimes due to cramps, I'm filled with a sense of unease, which suggests that a sense of unease is nothing other than a metaphor for an overdue shit. Although there are certain situations in which the overdue shit is itself a metaphor, if a metaphor realized by the body, which anyone who suffers from anxiety or Catholicism knows to be very possible. For example, an impending drone strike, which a person, although not my person as I'm not subject to drone strikes or to their accompanying predictive shits, experiences ahead of time with a sense of unease, which in many locations today is probably constant, as a metaphor for their own overdue shit, itself a metaphor for their overdue death, which brings me back to my own location and unites us all in the sad fact of having lived past our births, dooming us to shit with some regularity until the drone strike comes or suicide or, God permitting, old age and constipation, which proves
seems more than anything that shitting is a punishment for still being alive, and usually in the morning, after a few sips of my first cup of coffee. It is this regularity that led me to become the shit advice columnist. In many of the letters I received, shitting gets in the way of sex, literally, figuratively, or otherwise. For some, shitting becomes a kind of religion, and nothing gets in the way of sex so much as God. There are a few notable exceptions. Moms, lack of reciprocity, erectile dysfunction, and yeast infections. But though there are ways of getting around God, as there are ways of avoiding moms and the almost pleasant bread smell of fungal overgrowth, the religious imperative to avoid sex is less reliant on context, just as likely to follow you into the library stacks or the public bathroom as he is onto the dance floor or into the arms of a beautiful woman, the girl you know just well enough to know that the sweat beating on her thighs is not the source of your desire, but the conversation you'll have as you imagine it's salt. Among these impolite intrusions, God's favorite is the bathroom, where the sacrifices he demands in exchange for answered prayers are, some would blaspheme, disproportionate to the answer. For many letter writers, this too religious attitude towards shit moves them to write to me for advice. Quote, a day after having sex with a forbidden partner, I won't detail the reasons for its forbidding as I'd like to stay on topic, but it's safe to say the prohibition had many signatories, including a wife, a cat, whose timing for kneading was inopportune and whose vocal register was uncannily close to my partner's, many states' laws, and I can easily imagine some long-dead aunt or great-aunt who may have been prescient enough to have tried to warn the girl off redheads decades earlier. I became very ill with the flu. I deserved it, some would say, but if those some were merciful, they should have more simply wished for my death, which I assumed was coming. If they had had the sex themselves, they would have excused my behavior entirely. Death did not come. With the help of antibiotics, my condition even improved enough for me to start thinking of a second encounter. I wrote and rewrote an email, perfectly brief, guilty, and charming, to seduce again the girl whose situation was already fucked enough to justify a bit more fucking, and I was prepared to send it just as soon as the constipation passed. This constipation, my God, no, not again, my something else, my advice columnist, my friend. The constipation was worse than the flu was, and lasted much longer, caused by some combination of the antibiotic side effects and the prior flu-induced emptiness of my gut. It was Christmas Day, the seventh day of my retention. I found myself in a coffee shop's bathroom, straining my ass and hating myself and ready for the second time that advent to renounce the world entirely. Should advice columnist, I am not or was not a religious woman, but like many who lack faith, I like to give God a chance to prove me wrong from time to time. My eyes caught themselves in the mirror, which seemed inappropriate for prayer, so I redirected them to the ground. The ground was worse still, next to the plunger that I so longed to require. Streaks of someone else's successful shit taunted me, so I raised my eyes to the ceiling, which, as you can imagine, had never been dusted, but at least had me pointed in the most likely direction for God. I breathed in deeply, giving my body one last chance to solve its own problems, put my hands together the way I was taught to do as a little girl, and prayed. Lord, let me shit, and I will never have sex with her again. Like the doors the church had at 1 a.m. that morning, joy to the world leaking out across the rows of sedans, my ass opened to release the most horrifying, most painful, most welcome diarrhea. My question is simple. Do I see her again? My response. I'm glad your prayers were answered at however high a price whoever answered's demands. Constipation may be preferable to diarrhea in the short term, the same way that the frigidity that sometimes accompanies love can seem preferable to regular sex with partners you hate, but neither are true for any actual length of time. 
I hope, too, that you've regained your solidity. I see three possible explanations for your sudden relief. The first, God's intervention. All this lets you know, though, is God's intention and not yours. He disapproves of the connection. And it's clear you grew up religious enough to say your prayers when no one was watching, to attend midnight mass with the guilt of a child who knows you should be more excited about the holiday than the opportunity to stay up late. You grew up religious enough even to have this faith still manifesting in your bowels. Among other things, this tells me that you've lived most of your life aware that you acted against his wishes. Why is this any different? Surely you don't believe yourself to be the first to have obtained proof against your atheism. If this explanation is true, it still leaves you to make your own decision. So we need a second option, chance. Perhaps most likely this explanation is also the most difficult to interpret. Your constipation simply happened to end the moment you offered not to sleep with her again. In this case, the decision is still entirely in your hands, but you're left to wonder what, in the absence of God's silent call, led you to make the promise. Which brings me to the third option, your own desire. The prior two lead here inevitably. You're skeptical you insist that your hopes and fears would have this level of control over your bowel movements, and if so, you should familiarize yourself more with the rest of my column. Even if I grant you that, though, something of your control remains. Why not offer to give up a favorite drug, some other bad habit? Why not simply offer to become religious if you think God wants something from you? Unless you already knew your constipation was caused by the sex and not by antibiotics or the flu, as you suggest. I don't know whether you should see her again, but I do know that if your body was capable of doing this to you once, it will do so again. She didn't see the forbidden partner again, I've since learned. Sometimes you see a letter writer follows up. One such writer, though, a young Shiv, has started to write alarmingly often. I'll give you a sample of one of his more recent and more troubling letters. Dear France, if I may, he won't call me the shit advice columnist anymore. Having taken such inspiration from your work, having set off to create new shitting constraints in the hopes of creating equally new shitting freedom, I thought I might be so presumptuous as to attempt to answer some of the questions that you have not successfully answered. You have, you see, disappointed me. For example, one often wants for good places to take a shit when visiting Midtown. I'm sure that people have written to you about this. It's only because I am less of a shit advice columnist than you that I suggest myself for this role. Leave the more minor problems to me, if you will, and I can be a sort of squire to your more heroic answers. Not to suggest that you intend to knight me as the future shit advice columnist once you inevitably retire, but still. Is there any chance, my unparalleled advice columnist, that you avoided this particularly mundane variety of question not because it is mundane, but because it is too hard for you? Giving shit advice must always be difficult. When a man shits, after all, he needs to do what no one else could do for him. At best, you can advise a man on a certain set of decisions to make along the way, but you can't take the shit on his behalf, no matter how pathetically wealthy he is. This instance is all the more difficult, though, in its lack of good answers. New York is a terrible city to shit in, perhaps in direct proportion to what a good place it is to do everything that leads up to shitting. But while a rich person can't hire anyone to shit for him, believe me, I tried this myself in my experiments to expand the possible outlets for your advice, and while it added a new relationship to my life and put a, yokel, a local young woman through college, the rate at which my shit vase filled up had no effect on my own increasingly full colon. Money does make shitting easier, though. Of course, this has to do with access to foods, to medical care, therapy, etc., but we can get even more specific. To get even more specific, the best place to shit in Midtown is the Museum of Modern Art. 
For $25, you can also take advantage of the crowds around Starry Night to smell various visitors, one with a sort of dampness that could also describe the expression he made while alternating between serious looks in the direction of paintings and more accidental nervous glances at neighbors. Another recently was wearing Aqua de Joe, the same cologne my first boyfriend used to spray in the bathroom either to cover up or draw attention to his own shit. A third smelled more simply of pickles. This is a rather expensive shit to take, I grant, but I would recommend it without hesitation to your sadly unanswered letter writers. I have to poop, and I do poop infallibly every time I'm at MoMA, and yet I never have to and never do it PS1. My bowels must be set off more by permanent collections and special exhibits. There are other museum bathrooms with more reasonable admission rates, that's true. At the Metropolitan, you can pay what you'd like to shit, and I found that my shit's quality varies according to the amount I choose to pay for it. And many cities make their gigantic museums free. They're the best places to cry, obtain a map of a city, find out how important dreams were to artists, apparently, remember to continue living and not kill yourself, or defecate. The Tate Modern, for instance. One thing I've noticed about your advice, if you don't mind my saying, is that it takes too much for granted. Not only do you not tell August lettuce writer, August letter writer, how to get their cat to quit shitting in the bathtub, worse still, you assume it's easy for the cat to get to the litter box. Perhaps I mean your readers, like the cat, just need directions. I suggest, shyly, that your own greater sense of understanding may be impeding your ability to predict others' understanding. For this reason, I not only offer the Tate Modern as a place for visitors to or residents of London to shit, but I offer directions to their bathrooms as well. Addendum to the letter, how to get to the Tate Modern. It has happened to all of us who have been to London. We are in London, we have to shit. You want to head to the museum, you think, or at the very least you want to head to a section of ground separating a city from water. There's a girl who's very much like you in at least two respects. She needs to shit, she's in London. She asks directions, he gives directions, she follows them. Along the way, she fails to look at a blue door, a circular window, a white dog, a wooden bucket, a hat, among other objects overlooked by her in her dress. Instead, she passes a store that sells clothes made of draped black fabrics, leather, cotton, wool. Already having veered from her directions, she takes the opportunity to browse, safe in the certainty that her need to shit will prevent her from trying anything on and making a purchase she can't afford. The salesperson walks up, meaning to offer her assistance, but he's drawn instead outside. There, he smokes for the exact time it takes to cross the street, drops his cigarette as the door opens, only slightly smoked, breezes past a gallery attendant and down to a stone staircase, descends into a basement, watches a movie from the wrong side of a screen, such that he's separated from some cross-dressers by supporting wooden beams. The girl takes the opportunity created by a sudden departure to walk out of the door wearing a stolen leather jacket, puts it on over her long coat. The girl passes an impassive woman with the rare ability to look at once at a river, a bridge, and some childhood recollection of a formative error that may or may not be the source of her current sadness. Her lap-seated dog looks at the girl. This woman dominates the steep, angled Riverside Park, which could hardly contain her if she were to stand up. The girl has taken too long to get to the museum. Maintaining eye contact with the dog and confident the woman is distracted enough to avoid looking at her, she squats over the riverbank and shits out something horribly long but solid enough to permit skipping wiping. She saves a little for later inside her, though, as she still hopes to make use of the museum's excellent facilities. Pulling up her tights and breaking eye contact with the dog, she turns to watch her, her shit slide down the river. 
The ship passes the Globe Theater and some other attractions, and waiting until it leaves her line of sight is pulled up out of the water onto dry land by a thief, a local, a Brit attempting identity fraud, who places it in a wax paper bag typically used for takeaway pastries. This is how her shit gave her the slip, for she wants to follow it, having quickly run off down the bank to track it, while its thief crosses the street to avoid a man stumbling from enough booze to cause alarm. The thief fears that others are thieves much more than does a mark, and he shuffles, holding the still warm package under his arm so as to attract less attention. The drunk, the possible second thief, is wearing a yellow jacket, as if he were acting in an official capacity. Now he is becoming the second drunker thief, especially visible to policemen. He does not see the first thief, the shit, or the girl. He's busy. He's looking in a window where a handsome man sits, legs and arms spread as if relaxed on a rather elegant white couch. This man's erection is also calm, rising and falling only with his slow breath, three times slower than his heart rate. But it's not the man's erection the drunk wants, but rather the distinguished pair of spectacles that rest on the end of his nose. You see, the drunk man believes that he has been drunk since the day he lost his glasses. He lost the frames because he was drunk, of course, but since his vision has remained blurry since, dry or doused, he's lost track of the difference between the states, and he thinks he needs them back to get sober. Obviously, this means he can't really see the spectacles on the naked man, or at least not the fact that they are distinguished. He could only see that they exist, and they seem in keeping with his generous, if blurry, erection. With this visual aid, though, the naked man must be able to see the drunk one quite clearly, though he makes no change to posture or expression that gives this seeing away. Instead, the direction his eyes have always been pointed seems to only coincide with the glassesless bridge of the drunk's nose. This makes the drunk man nervous. He looks over his shoulder to see if the naked man is looking at someone else. This is how he finds the first thief, apparently attempting to hide behind a too narrow tree. Startled, they both take off running, but mistakenly choose overlapping paths and collide just in front of a would-be passing bus. The first thief desperately keeps his grip on his package of shit, which he narrowly avoids squashing flat in his fall, requiring a set of awkward gestures that send his glasses off his face and onto the road, giving the drunk man the opportunity to snatch them. When the drunk puts the glasses on, he finds out that he is sober and that the now honking, impatient bus is headed his direction. He shits himself in fear, but this fear is unwarranted. No one wants to steal his shit, and the bus veers out of the way just in time. When the thief collects himself and his belongings, he finds the glasses missing just as they run off with the sober man. He ignores this discovery, though, as he's already on his way across the street, where the naked man has observed the whole scene and has begun moving into the position required by the forthcoming procedure. The thief, more by habit than by necessity, slips in through the window. In a, of, in, in a set of elegant and improbable gestures, he slides the stolen shit, still lubricated by river water, through the sphincter of the naked man. By this time, the girl has made it to the Tate and to its toilet. But just as she prepares to exhale, she loses entirely the sensation of needing to shit. Out of the naked man, still on his knees on the couch, slides a different shit than the one he just received. He takes the shit the girl was trying to for her. Not through his glasses, but through her eyes, he sees the door of the bathroom stall of the Tate. There are at least two ways to get to the Tate, then. The girl's and the naked man's. Perhaps you should try one of them, should advise columnist. Thank you. The Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating 
at poetryproject.org.